called the Dilbert Principle. And if you're familiar with this comic strip, it generally takes a pretty uh, sarcastic view of the workplace, and I kind of like it. It has a usual blend of sarcasm, though, but with truth, uh, often. And uh, in this book, anyway, Scott Adams has what he calls Dilbert's Laws of Work. And I'd like to read a few to you because I think there's some uh, real truth in them. One is, uh, don't be irreplaceable. If you can't be replaced, then you can't be promoted. Uh, when you don't know what to do, walk fast and look worried. And that really works. You ought to try that. Everything can be filed under miscellaneous. Of course, we've all done that. If you're good, you'll be assigned all the work. If you're really good, you'll get out of it. Uh, if it wasn't for the last moment, nothing would get done. It's true. You can keep your boss's boss off your boss's back. I guess that's uh, advice. Keep your boss's boss off your boss's back. Uh, Brian says if you don't like your boss, give him a promotion. I'm not sure why he said that. Uh, eat one live toad. This is my favorite one. Eat one live toad the first thing in the morning, and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. <laughs> Think about that. That gets true real quick. But for a lot of people, though, you know, all joking aside, that's still pretty good advice. Because we spend a lot of time, about 60% of our time is spent in the workplace. And if what you spend most of your time doing, you don't see any value in. Very easily, you can get frustrated, you can come certainly to the end of your life and look back on it and feel like that it's essentially been a waste, at least that in regard to your work. You know, now some folks, if they've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have, you may see meaning in life, certainly, but maybe not in work. Maybe the meaning in your life is simply reduced to your uh, weekend activities or your spiritual activities with church and certainly with your family. But what I'd like for us to talk about today is what we spend most of our time doing about what God says about work. What does the Bible have to say about what we spend most of our time doing? We've tried in this series on life in the fast lane to look at various issues of life, be it progress and stress, be it uh, priorities and simplicity in our lives, what we've looked at so far. But today we're going to look at the issue of work and what God says about it. But first of all, um, I want to tell you we're going to be skipping around quite a bit in the Bible. So I invite you just to look at the screen, just to kind of simplify it rather than trying to chase me through your Bible. Uh, but we're going to look at, first of all, what the culture's view of work is, <clears throat> the culture in which we live. Primarily, by and large, their view is that work is for self-fulfillment and success in life. Now Solomon tried this, and this is his conclusion. Ecclesiastes 2, he said, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. William Willimon said that making a life is more significant than making a living. Now, I agree with that statement insofar as it refers to the attitude that your living is your life. If your living is your life, 
then I think you can very quickly come to Solomon's perspective that it's meaningless, or as another translation says, it's vanity. It's a waste of time. Because if you're trying to find meaning in doing things, be it work or anything else, particularly work here today, so many of us uh, see our value in work. You can quickly become discouraged because you can't ever fill that, that contentment. You can't ever have an ultimate contentment in your life through doing things. You've got to continually do stuff. There's never a final satisfaction to any one thing you do if your life is not centered around God. And I think that's the distinction that makes this a healthy view versus the one that our culture has that leaves God out of it. And the work is simply almost your God. It's almost your idol. And that it is your self-fulfillment and success in life. And ultimately, if that's the case, it's futile and it's meaningless. But I think that this can be, there can be an element of health in this view. I think uh, it was USA Today that reported a poll that was done last year where 70% of people that were polled said that they associate success with how well they do their job. Now again, I think there is some measure of health in that opinion, as long as your life is not completely your job, as long as ultimately it is God and you see yourself as we're going to see serving God through your job. Otherwise, as Solomon says, it's vanity. So that's one end of the culture spectrum of becoming so, uh, I may get excited here and knock this thing way over, of being so focused on work as your God. The other end of the seesaw, you might say, goes to the other end, and this is something that the church also shares with the culture. And for that reason, we're going to call this the church's wrong view of work. And that is that work is a necessary evil to make money. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reported more than 1,200 business students in 10 nations were asked, and they said, almost half of them, 45%, said that their chief goal in life is to find a rewarding existence outside of work. In other words, they saw that their work contributed very little to their feeling of contentment in life. See, that's, that's completely opposite scale. You've got the folks that the work is their life, and you've got the folks that say, no, work is just a job. You know, it's just a paycheck. It's just a place I go because I'm in debt and I have an obligation. It's just a place I go to meet my needs. There is no real significance in my work. And some of us in the church have latched on to this, that we look at work as just a necessary evil for money. But I think that... Uh, it's healthy to have a little bit better perspective than that, or I should say a little more fuller perspective than that. Because certainly that's true, we go to work to make money. But there's more to it than that that makes it not the necessary evil. There was an oil company uh, some time ago, the Standard Oil Company, was going to expand into Indonesia. And they needed to try to find a manager to take care of their affairs over there. And it just so happened the guy most qualified to do this was a missionary. And so they approached this guy and they said, look, we'll give you X amount of money. It was a huge salary if you'll go over there to Indonesia and manage our company. And he turned him down right there on the spot. So they offered him more money, turned him down. He said, look, you know, if the money is not big enough, just name your price and we'll pay it. And he says, it's not that the money is not big enough. The missionary said, the job's not big enough. 
You know, initially that sounds real noble, doesn't it? You know, the idea being, well, I would not stoop to being uh, over an oil company when I could be a missionary. Initially, and many in the church have bought into this kind of attitude, that uh, the value that we have in our work is a necessary evil for money and also another error that the church has is that it's a necessary evil for ministry. And here's where it gets real sticky. Because this guy, this missionary, I think, is one of many folks that have fallen into the, um, I think, of the deception that work in the workplace or the secular workplace is irrelevant. That you're, you may be a Christian, but you're not really serving the Lord unless you're, uh, or you're not really serving the Lord except when you are within the confines of the church or you're doing something for the church or that directly benefits the church. You're not doing something that's valuable. And I think that's such a deception. The thought being, if a, if a missionary focuses on eternal things, but me, I just crank out, let's say, an editor of a newspaper. I just crank out newspapers. They read it and they trash it. There is nothing lasting to my work. And often in that kind of a, of a mentality where you have a secular job and you're producing things that ultimately are consumed and you can feel like you're on this, this little treadmill like a rat and ultimately your, your, your job has no value. It's easy to feel that way. But I think that is not what the Bible teaches us that we're to feel about our jobs. Even if it is something you produce is consumed and you have to do it all over again. Why? Well, we've looked at what the culture says about work. We've looked at what the church says about work in sort of a, a wrong sense. But now let's look at what the Creator says about work and round out what is incomplete about this view the wrong view of the church that I have uh, mentioned here for you. The Creator's view of work is that it's valuable because God worked and He told man to work. In Genesis chapter 2, we're told the first two verses, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts, and by the seventh day God completed His work which He had done. God worked. Down in verse 15 it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden, for what purpose? To cultivate it and keep it. God gave a job to mankind before there was sin. And that job was to work. Many times we will look at the jobs that we do and because they apparently only have temporal, temporary value, we compare them to those involved in, let's say, full-time Christian work. We'll say, well, their job is much more valuable to the Lord, it's certainly much more relevant to the cause of Christ than my job is. Mostly because you look at the temporary versus the eternal. There's a song that is popular in churches that goes, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now, if what you mean when we sing that is that we, the things of earth being the things of earth that are sinful... I am ready to sing right along with you. But if the things of earth that God has created to be good, then I'm not so sure I want to sing the song. Because work, family, uh, the list just goes on, the things that God has intended to be a blessing and to be good things. 
are things that we can keep our eyes on as well. Now, if you're going to say that something has to be eternal to have value in the eyes of God, what you produce in your job is what I'm speaking of, then you have to say that what God created, the heavens and the earth, that that has no value. Why? Because it's temporary. The heavens and the earth that God made are temporary. One day they will flee from his presence, Revelation tells us, and he will make a new heaven and a new earth. Now, nobody's going to say that anything that God did didn't have value. Right? And yet you say that the work you do, even though it's consumable, even though it doesn't give any kind of apparently eternal value, that it doesn't have value, that's not right. Because the work that, that God did had value. I think the problem that we often stumble into is we compare time to eternity and we measure its value by how long they last. Time, obviously, compared to eternity is just a blip. You know, even the, the thousands of years that mankind has existed. In light of eternity, you compare it how long it lasts, it's just a blip. In our lives, a mere 80, 100 years, perhaps, is even an even quicker blip than that in the span of eternity. But I think the problem, though, is we compare things that are not meant to be compared, time versus eternity, as opposed to what is important. Let me explain. Because if what... If in time, if that moment in time determines your eternity, then all of a sudden that moment in time becomes very important, doesn't it? Very important. Yeah, eternity may last forever, but what determines where you will spend eternity in heaven or hell? Whether or not in time you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ who died for your sins. So all of a sudden time takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Very important. What determines whether you, as a Christian, the level of rewards that you receive in heaven? We talked about this last week. It depends on your faithfulness and doing a quality job as a believer. What determines, we don't know that we've talked about this recently, but it's true, what determines the level of punishment in hell depends on the kind of life you live. Uh, you may go to hell and have just a little less hot spot than Hitler, perhaps. It is a matter of, of this life that determines eternity. That's my point. There is value in this life. So, what is the value then in the work that God did? What's the value then in the work that he gave Adam to do? And for that matter, what's the value in the work that you do every single day? The value is in that for which it was created, meaning time. It is valuable for this life. Therefore, to God, it has value just like he created the heavens and earth to serve time. When time is gone, they won't need it anymore. Same with us. Our jobs, by and large, uh, we have to continue to do over and over. Mine is not excluded. I doubt there's one of you that can stand up and reproduce a sermon that I've said. I doubt I could. Okay? We have to keep going through it. It is a repeatable, in some sense, a a futile effort to work if your view is just this earth. And that's Solomon's whole point in Ecclesiastes. But if your view is much bigger than that, that our time here on earth is affecting eternity and how we will spend eternity, then all of a sudden our time here on earth and the, the job that we do takes on a much greater significance. God created work before sin was in the picture. But sin did come in the picture now in Genesis 3. If we were to look at the screen at verse 17, you see what happened. 
God told Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the, the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Now many folks look at this and say that work is a result of the curse. That's not true. Remember, work was around. God commanded that we work before sin came on the picture. All sin has done is make work harder. Notice what is cursed. Cursed is the ground, God told him. Not your work, but your environment for the work. For Adam, it was thorns and thistles. For you, it might be the jerk that sits across from the office that's a real idiot to work with. Sin has affected your environment that makes work more difficult. Work is still just as noble, it's still just as good in the eyes of God, but sin has made it more difficult. In a sense, it's like sex. Ah, everybody all of a sudden got my attention. In that it's a very good thing. God created it to be good, right? But sin, in the hands of sinful men, can take what God intended to be good and can turn into a very evil activity. It's intended to be good. There is a good expression of it here on earth, but there's also a very evil expression in the hands of sinners. It's the same with work. God intended work to be good. God intended work to be satisfying to us, but there's also a very evil effect of work on us. Work is valuable, even though the product of your hands might be temporary. Even though you... Let's go with the newspaper thing again. You create a newspaper every day, and yet it's got to be trashed. Where is the value to that? Because you are meeting a legitimate need of people in the image of God. And while the product of your hands might not be eternal, those who benefit from the product of your hands are eternal. That is, people in the image of God. And that kind of brings us to the next point the Creator's view of work. The work is instrumental for fulfilling God's will in the world. That's why, for example, the Bible calls the police ministers of God. You ever thought about that? You see the buzzing lights behind you, you think, oh, praise the Lord, here comes a minister. <laughs> is that what you think? No. But the Bible calls them ministers of God. Now, why are they ministers of God? Not because they give sermons. Okay, they're ministers of God because their so-called secular jobs are fulfilling God's will in the world to keep law and order. All right? It's true. This is why they're called that. They are servants of God for our good. All of us in our so-called secular jobs are servants of God for the good of eternal mankind. There's a couple of other real obvious reasons we work. If you look at the screen at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Verse 10, for even, Paul says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Very next book, First Timothy, tells us, teaches us a very similar thing. Chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. One of the most obvious reasons that we go to work is to provide needs. But I think the error that we fall into is when we let it stop there. That it is simply just a paycheck. 
It should go beyond that. There's a group of ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel called the Haredim. And these guys sit around uh, and they read the Bible, the Old Testament, all day long. They study it. And they feel like that is their job. And they are willing to let their families uh, essentially go into poverty. Most of the Haredim families in Israel are on the poverty level and are fed through the welfare of the government. You know, but when I read the Bible, I see it telling me that we are to get out and work and that we are to eat our own bread. That one of the reasons God has given us work is to fulfill his will in the world and to meet needs. Be it a newspaper, be it going to work uh, to fill your family up with food and clothes, etc., but there's also another reason that we work. It's not just for our own needs, but also for the needs of other people. Back in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, it says this, Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Now notice a few things in this. Uh, it says, let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Here, even after the fall, we're told that laboring with our own hands is good in the eyes of God. One, it provides our needs, but here in this context, it's good so that we may have something to share, to give. Not to hoard it all for ourselves, but to give to others who are in need as well. One kind of a wise guy said this, and I kind of like it. He said, We're here on earth to do good for others. What the others are for, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes you feel like that. But the fact is that you do not have to be in full-time Christian work to do full-time Christian work. The fact is that I believe the Bible teaches that there is really more ministry that happens outside of these four walls than happens inside them. One of the most bedrock verses of the purpose of the church in Ephesians chapter 4 is verse 11 and 12 that say, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. Notice, not everybody. Some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. You see, my job is not to do the work of ministry. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And that does not simply mean that you come and you get involved here, though it does include that, and though we should. It, it means, I believe, for the most part, that the work of service, the work of ministry, is not within the confines of the four walls, but also is outside of the four walls in the places that you spend most of your time. That you can be an effective minister for Christ, or a priest of Christ, as Peter says in your workplace, in your home, wherever it is you spend the majority of your time. Now some of you may be thinking, now wait a minute. So tell me the difference then between what you said the church's wrong view is and now what you're telling me that the right view is. The church's wrong view, you say, is simply to go to work for money and for ministry. Isn't that what you're telling me now? Well, it is. But there is more to it than that. It's not that work is a necessary evil. I think that is the biggest mistake 
but we should look at work as something that is valuable, that is honorable in the sight of God. And so with that, having looked at what the culture thinks, what the church erroneously sometimes thinks, and what the Creator thinks about work, now I want to look at what the Christian ought to look at at work. What, do you, what should you think about tomorrow morning as you're driving to wherever it is God has you go? What should be your attitude? Well, first of all, your motive on the job should be to serve boss Jesus. Colossians 3 tells us that. Whatever you do, whether in word or notice in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 18 is directed at wives, 19 to husbands, 20 to children, 21 to fathers, 22 to slaves. And the slaves and the masters, obviously in this day and age, are by and large the working class. For us to apply the scripture to our lives, we can take this principle very easily to mean employee-employer relationship. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. What a wonderful perspective to have on your mind as you're going into work. You are not working for men. You are working for Jesus Christ. A guy I know of was a very, very frequent flyer. And he was on this particular airline. I think it was an American flight. And it was delayed, I don't know how many hours. And this, uh, everybody was grumpy about it. And there was this one guy in particular who was sitting next to him who was vocal about this disappointment. And he was hollering at the stewardess every time she'd go by and demanding of her. And she, on the other hand, was just very kind. She said to him, you know, sir, I'm sorry. This was, this was beyond our control. There's nothing we could have done about this. Is there anything I can do to help you to make your travel more comfortable? He says, yeah, you can get me to Chicago three hours ago. I mean, the guy was just a rude, rude person. And so she just walks on back to the back. And the guy who saw this, whom I spoke of, got up and walked back to talk with her. And he said, I want you to know I am an admiral for American Airlines. And I would like to write a note to your uh, company and let them know how much I appreciate uh, having an employee like you. And she says, well, sir, I thank you very much. But she said, I'm, I don't work for American Airlines. He said, all of a sudden, he started looking for his ticket to try to see what airline he had gotten on. And then she finished her thought, and she said, I don't work for American Airlines. She said, I work for Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, whatever you do, whatever you do, be it worship at church, be it a wife, be it a husband, be it a child, be it a father, or be it an employee or employer. And it doesn't matter. You can take this even to its logical uh, additional conclusion. Whatever your job is, it's a natural application here. Are you a plumber? Are you a copywriter? Are you one who loves Elvis? <laughs> you can't get paid for that. I guess you can. It's still quite a market in impersonating. 
The point being, whatever you do, even if you are an Elvis impersonator, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Whatever you do, that meaningless job that you feel is just cranking it out and doing it the next day and you're on a treadmill of meaningless, purposeless existence. That is not true. If you have in your attitude that you are serving boss Jesus, if you've got a jerk for a boss that doesn't give you the promotion, doesn't give you the raise, makes you work extra hours, uh, yells at you, if you've got a boss like that, you need to realize that ultimately he is not your boss, that you are working for Jesus Christ. That should be your driving motive. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you, above all other people on this planet, have reason to, to see value in your job because God does. I like what uh, Bruce Larson says. He says, If you're miserable or bored in your work or dread going to it, then God is speaking to you. He either wants you to change the job you're in or, more likely, He wants to change you. What's your attitude when you go to your job? Are you serving men or are you serving Jesus Christ? You know, if your job is to lay asphalt, okay, let's say my job is to lay asphalt. What eternal significance does that have? I'll tell you. Because it ministers to people who have, who will live for eternity. And you can pray, Lord, help me to do a great job at laying asphalt so that those around me see my excellence and see my godly behavior and they might ask me why or that I might have the respect that when the opportunity comes up to share Jesus Christ that I've earned a voice. Or you could pray, Lord, help me to do a good job and for this particular job to lay a good road to that will take people to hear Jesus, about Jesus Christ, that will take people uh, and send people to tell about Jesus Christ. You can find eternal significance in whatever it is in a mundane daily job that you do. If this will be your attitude, you're working for Christ, not for men. That's to be the attitude of a Christian at work. Before we get into the issue on how the actions affect this, let's look at a cartoon <clears throat> real quickly. Dilbert, once again, of course, how appropriate. He says, if the warehouse won't replace my broken chair, I'll just take one from somebody else. Technically, it's not stealing because the chair belongs to the company either way. He says, what's the worst thing that can happen? And this little demon behind him goes, hold the elevator, over. <laughs> what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, if you're an unbeliever, that's pretty bad to have a, a worse punishment in hell. The point being, though, and I, and I doubt that, that this guy meant this, but that our work in our present world that seems to be meaningless, that nobody seems to see or care about, does have eternal implications. Whether you're working in an office like Dilbert, or whether you're laying asphalt, or whether you're a... a whatever. Whatever it is you're doing. There is eternal significance to it. So the final principle we want to latch on to is that a Christian's attitude toward work needs to be that your integrity on the job should reflect that of Jesus. It's not just that you serve boss Jesus, but you serve as 
Jesus, with the integrity of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6 says it this way, Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Why? So that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. If you do not treat your boss with respect, even if he's a jerk, if you do not live in such a manner before people that honors Jesus Christ, then please don't tell anybody that you're a Christian. On the other hand, if people know that you're a Christian, we're told to act in such a way so that the name of our God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. And what if you have a Christian boss and you can get away with stuff? Well, it goes on. And let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. You see, we don't look for reasons to get out of working hard. Oh, my boss is a Christian. Shoot. He has to be gracious to me. And so you do a sloppy job. No, even if your boss is a Christian, in fact, the Bible tells us if he is, you do an even better job because the one who's getting the benefit is a brother or sister in Christ. The Los Angeles Times recently printed what you might call a sampling of signs from around the world of hotels around the world that tried to communicate in English. And this is always fun when you try to translate something and it goofs up. In a hotel lobby in Bucharest, it says, the lift is being fixed for the next day. During that time, we regret that you will be unbearable. <laughs> in Moscow, there's a hotel that says, if this is your first time to Russia, you are welcome to it. And in Paris Hotel, it says, please leave your values at the front desk. <laughs> but you know, you could, that last sign, that Paris sign, leaving your values at the front desk, you could almost take that and slap it up on the front door of many businesses. To walk in and all of a sudden, all the great stuff that we've talked about on Sunday morning, on Monday morning, doesn't matter a hill of beans. You walk in, and it's not, how would Jesus Christ have me act today? It is, what can I do to get ahead? Now, those don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. But when getting ahead dishonors Jesus Christ, what is your choice going to be? Check your values at the front desk? No. To have integrity on the job to reflect that of Jesus Christ. Almost half, 48%, of American workers admit to unethical actions in their jobs in the last year. And that's just the ones that admit it. 48%. This is stuff like cutting corners on quality or covering up little incidents or uh, lying about sick days, calling in, <coughs> I don't feel too good when you want to go fishing. That's the kind of stuff. And what's sad to me, the Gallup organization did a very similar study and found that between those that go to church and those that don't go to church, there was really very little difference in the ethics done on the job. And Gallup is a very uh, reputable uh, survey guy. In other words, I think this is what's happening. At church, we say amen to the values from the Bible on Sunday morning, but then Monday morning we walk in and it's business as usual. That our Christian life doesn't really affect us on the street. 
It only works here for some reason. And the fact is that Jesus is either Lord of your whole life or he's not. What area, particularly in work, we're focusing on today? Are you holding back from the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Albert Hubbard said, One man can do the work of 50 ordinary men. One machine can do the work of 50 ordinary men. But no machine can do the work of one extraordinary man. I want to challenge you today to be that extraordinary person. And that extraordinary person is not one that leaps tall buildings in a single bound. To be extraordinary in this culture is just a matter of being like Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus attracted people. He didn't repulse them. Like so many uh, of our culture looks at us at religion, and they don't want to be near us as opposed to the way Jesus was, who was sincere and godly, and people flocked to him to see what is it that's unusual about this person. So tomorrow morning, wherever it is God sends you for work, I want to challenge you to begin to think about your work in a different way. It is not a necessary evil. It is an honor to be able to work in whatever it is to serve eternal humanity. For the glory of God, you can do a good job. And let your motive be on the job. You're not serving men, but you're serving boss Jesus Christ. And let your integrity on the job reflect that of Jesus Christ as well. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, how difficult it is to swim against the current of a culture where it is dog-eat-dog dog and no holes barred. Whatever we can do to get ahead... Look out for number one. That is where we live. And it's so easy, Father, to get caught up in the culture and to look at success as simply a matter of our bottom line. I pray you would free us from that and to have a broader perspective that, yes, work is to meet legitimate needs, but it is more than that. We work for eternal humanity to meet their needs, but certainly, ultimately, we work for the glory and honor of our boss, Jesus Christ, for whom we will one day give an accounting of the quality and the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. So strengthen us, Lord, today in our minds that tomorrow morning we might not walk in and check our values at the desk. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you all. We're dismissed.